From the Colorado Business Roundtable studios in Denver, you're listening to the voice of the Colorado Business Roundtable, focusing on issues around business, policy, and education with leaders across local, national, and international communities, making a difference and driving business success. This is Connect and Collaborate on KDMT, Denver's Money Talk, 1690 AM. I am Alex Hopkins, your on-air producer, and I am very excited to have Barbara Nichols in the room with me. But before we jump on to that conversation, I do need to ask our audience out there to be to please visit cobrt.com. You can sign up for our newsletter while you're there. Check out our events page. We have the sixth annual legislative reception coming up. That is a free event that's going to be on November 12th, so be sure to sign up for that as well. And you can find all of our shows under the media tab, radio slash podcast. So we'll go ahead and get today's show started. I have in the room with me Dan Thorin and Matthew Malone, both with Barbara Nichols. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, thank you. Yes, and how are you doing, Matt? Absolutely fabulous. Fabulous. Oh, I love hearing that. So, um, Matt, we were just talking a little bit off air. You uh, you have an upcoming Ironman. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So I typically do about two or three a year. Um, this year I did Lake Placid early in the year and qualified for Kona again this year. Uh, which is the World Championships in Hawaii. So, yeah, heading out tomorrow morning uh, to compete on Saturday. So looking forward Fantastic. to it. Fantastic. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank so you. I start with that because I do want to hear a little bit about your background and who you are and, and how you got on board with Barbara Nichols. Yeah, so I um, grew up always knowing that I wanted to be a mechanical engineer. There was no question. I was taking apart lawnmowers at four years old, and my parents knew something was wrong. Um, but I ended up going to Penn State for uh, school after that. Um, I was in the Honors College there, studied mechanical engineering, and did an, uh, my, my other side of the degree was in entrepreneurship. Um, and I've really dabbled in that area forever, uh, inventing outside of work, coming up with unique ideas, and actually make them reality. So I love the application of knowledge. Um, after Penn State, I joined GE on their leadership program, um, went through the engineering development program at GE, fantastic opportunity, um, saw all the different sides of the business as well as was really able to get some donate, domain depth in turbo machinery, which is rotating machines. Um, after about eight years, I started to ask myself, quickly moving up through this large organization, do I want to be here long term or not? Um, and, and honestly, I started to look up at the leadership and say to myself, can I put myself in these folks' shoes and, and really want to thrive in this environment? Um, at which point I decided that that wasn't my long-term career path. Um, so I reached out to Barbara Nichols um, during a ski trip while I was out uh, in the mountains at Pen uh, out here in Colorado, which I came out two or three times a year and just absolutely loved and convinced myself that maybe a career move was the right option. So I had a good connection with uh, Greg Forche and Mike Forche um, discussing some opportunities. I came out about two weeks later and interviewed, um, had an offer later that day, and then Dan was sending me text messages <laughs> to try to stimulate my interest in some of the rocket engine industry, which is where I've really had my initial growth at Barber Nichols. Um, and then in the last two years, I've really focused on growing the repeat side of the business, which is a lot of the contract manufacturing and more non-engineered product. 
Um, and having a, a large contribution, it's the one side of our business that's growing extremely rapidly. And, you know, taking an ownership position in the company has been great because it has really fulfilled that entrepreneurship spirit that I have. So um, overall, that's pretty much how I've gotten to where I'm at with Barbara Nichols. Fantastic. So I wanna I, I was actually surprised when you said that you wanted that you took some classes for entrepreneurship. Um, that's not typically something that I hear coinciding with engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations that you found that uh, entrepreneurship side. When you do go to a smaller company, it's more all hands on deck, uh, right? Rather than following with the big guys and just you have your ten to do items for the day and then you go home, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan, uh, so you pulled this guy in. Obviously, you've been at Barbara Nichols for quite a while. So tell me a little bit about yourself, your school, career, sure. and uh, how you how you uh, forced Matt, right, <laughs> to come on board. <laughs> well, I, so I grew up in Colorado and Wyoming. I went to the University of Wyoming, started in accounting, and said, um, <laughs> maybe not. So I went into mechanical engineering. <clears throat> Uh, really enjoyed that. Had a couple of internships down in Phoenix at uh, a company called Garrett Turbine Engine Company. And uh, and after I graduated, they offered me a job. So I went down there and worked. Uh, I was there for, I don't know, three years. And, and I, I kind, kind of like Matt, I kind of felt like, boy, this is a big company. And I don't know if I'll fit in here long term. So I started looking for a smaller company, found Barbara Nichols. They didn't have any openings, uh, so I just kind of hung out and, and kept pestering them. And they invited me in for an interview when they finally had an opening, uh, uh, gave me an offer, and I joined. So, uh, so I started as a, as a mechanical engineer, became a project engineer, eventually became engineering manager. And then, uh, and then one day they lined everybody up and they said, who wants to be president? Uh, everybody stepped back but me. <laughs> now, were you aware that that was <laughs> happening? Everyone was going to step back on you? No, it, it was it was something that I was actually very interested in. Uh, I, I like leadership. Um, I had started at the uh, University of Colorado Denver uh, towards a master's in um, in organizational management. So this was on my career path. Uh, so, uh, so I pursued that, and uh, and they let me run the company. And, and honestly, for the first five years, I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, Do any of us? No, I, d- I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, you, you do what you can do. You learn as much as you can. I joined uh, at the time. It was a group called Tech, the executive committee, uh, small business kind of CEO roundtable. Uh, where you learn about, you know, what other companies do and how they do it and all of that. It was a great experience for me. I got a lot of real-world experience from other people's successes and failures and uh, and really enjoyed that that piece of it. Uh, so, so I, first five years, um, didn't know what I was doing. After that, really started to learn. And uh, since 2002, uh, we've been on a roll. It's been a it's been an amazing ride. We've been growing at like ten percent per year uh, in revenue, wow. and uh, yeah. So so um, you know after after seventeen years, you go, gosh, is this really sustainable? We think it is, <laughs> uh, and and a lot of it comes from hiring really good people like Matt. Um, so uh, so when he came and interviewed, um, I I, uh, I heard lots of great uh, things from him. I talked to him on the phone. Uh, and, and, and tried to get him to come join us, and he did. And, and he's been a great contributor since, and, and he'll become a, a great leader for us in the future. 
Fantastic. Now, uh, tell me, Matt, uh, just just going back, I know that you looked at GE's leadership when you were there, um, and you maybe some things just didn't fall in line for you. Um, but knowing that you have leadership opportunities here at Barbara Nichols, I, I imagine that influenced your career path a little bit. Yeah, so to look back at GE, the biggest thing for me was I come to work in a lab coat and not a suit. Um, my lab coat is, I love the environment where it's really about the technology and the people thriving as opposed to kind of the outside perception. Um, I think it's a foundation that's built on complete transparency and it's really built on this engineering prowess where people are really proud of what they do. And the thing that I love about Barbara Nichols in that regard is the application of technology and true engineering it's like really at its finest. Um, if there's a problem that comes up, whether it's on the manufacturing side, HR, you name it, we're taking this kind of pragmatic sort of engineering-based approach to solve it. And it's really collaborative, which I really enjoy. On the leadership side, the biggest thing is, I mean, GE definitely built the principles for sure. Um, I was able to travel the world and really learn about myself and become comfortable in that self. Um, and then having the ability to apply that at uh, Barbara Nichols has been really rewarding. And the biggest thing is just seeing uh, the people thriving, number one, uh, with the feedback in leadership. And then two, just seeing how every single person is such a valuable contributor in an organization. It, it's really fulfilling. I imagine that it is really fulfilling. When we talked about big company versus smaller company, I, I think um, you feel like just a cog sometimes with the bigger the company gets. And not to knock any of those major companies, they're obviously doing something right. Sure. Um, but that being said, I, I actually like a, a, a home and a small company as well for the fact that I do feel appreciated, right? And um, you mentioned transparency which I think is a key thing that we're going to see more and more of with businesses, particularly in Colorado. I think that's a huge theme that we're seeing. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about Barbara Nichols and who they are. I'm going to start here with you, Dan, and um, and talk to me a little bit more about the transparency and, and how you've shifted it as a company in your tenure there. So I'll, I'll start with historical. Yeah. So it was founded in 66 by two engineers. And, and you know, a, a business run by engineers tends to be totally technical and less business, right? Uh, so, <laughs> so they started out with consulting engineering, and uh, it, and uh, they they really enjoyed it. They were they were established engineers. Their company had moved away. They said, "Hey, we're staying," um, and and so they did consulting engineering uh, for for various people. People then said, "Hey, would you make this stuff since you've designed it for us?" And so they went outside, they got the parts made, they brought them inside, they assembled them, they, te they tested them and then delivered them. And uh, after a while they said, you know, why is it that we're outsourcing the manufacturing? Why don't we bring manufacturing in? Uh, so they, they brought manufacturing in and so they went from consulting engineering to job shop type work to specialty pumps and turbines and compressors. And, and it was always a, a pretty advanced company. And so when I joined in uh, 86, um, they were doing things that as a much larger company, we were doing. And I was just blown away coming in and kind of seeing the advanced capabilities. Um, they were running pumps and compressors faster than 3600 RPM. So they were working with the very, very first variable frequency drives and just doing things that, that people weren't doing yet. 
So it was a really cool environment to come in. It, that continues today. We're, we're really doing advanced type things. Um, and, and there's a lot of satisfaction in working on new problems, new technology, those types of things. So it's, it's, a, it's a great place. So um, we've gone to, you know, really specialty turbo machineries, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, but, but as we kind of evolve, we go from consulting engineering to um, job shop to specialty machines to now integrated systems. And so we're bringing on the next generation of, of really high thinkers, uh, people that can kind of think at, at a bigger and bigger level uh, to help us develop brand new things, uh, more system-based um, products that will help us grow in the future. Fantastic. High thinkers. I like that term. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to steal that from you. Sure. <laughs> now, I imagine uh, Matt is one of those high thinkers. And how long, uh, excuse me, how long have you been there again, Barbara? Uh, four and a half years. Four and a half years. All right. So, so walk me through what you've seen growth-wise at Barbara Nichols since you've been there. Yeah. So when I first joined Barbara Nichols, I saw a very engineering-centric organization. Um, what you'd see is kind of the consulting engineer product as well as kind of a dabble in maybe the contract manufacturing. Um, typically the contract manufacturing's large kind of integrated systems like Dan mentioned, like we'll talk about later, but an example of that would be an air turbine pump for a submarine. Um, where, I, where I've seen the majority of the growth is on the organizational side, the support for these programs, the compliance that's required to execute these programs, as well as the manufacturing front and gaining an expertise there. We don't just design products anymore. We, we offer a service in most regards where we're designing for an application need for another customer. Um, with that being said, now we're able to offer things cradle to grave where it's really a full integrated solution as opposed to just the engineering solution. Um, so we would go everything from clean sheet design, which is a paper that says we want it to do this, all the way through uh, analysis, release drawings, 3D models. Actually, now we fabricate the majority of components in-house. We have a vast supply network. And then... In addition to that, we do assembly and test and then start all over again. So it's very cradle-to-grave focused as opposed to kind of engineering focused. Interesting. I want you to go a little bit more in depth for that on that for me. So yep. cradle-to-grave yep. um, versus an engineering. So engineering typically comes in only on one aspect of things. Is this kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, so it's really the idea of full cycle ownership. Okay. So as opposed to just owning the engineered portion of it, like designing the bottle, you would actually then go and fabricate the bottle and then watch it go through testing. And so it's a much more kind of holistic ownership of the product through the entire uh, life cycle. Um, and, and it's not just the life cycle doesn't end when the product's delivered. It's looking at service data. It's looking at a whole bunch of things out in the field, how it's operating. Uh, what are the pitfalls? How can you improve them? And then, of course, it feeds back into the engineering cycle for optimization. Um, and, and what you see as a result of that is your folks start to really understand how things interact with each other. So if you're manufacturing the product, you're now thinking about that in the manufacturing phase. We work with a lot of folks where they just live in the engineering world, and then we have to go try to manufacture their product. Well, it's not manufacturable. So I think having that kind of cradle-to-grave mentality, it really facilitates 
kind of a comprehensive optimized solution as opposed to just a cobble it together kind of solution. Yeah, I love that. So was there an inspiration to start taking this uh, this vision on uh, moving from a cradle to, or moving from just an engineering perspective to a cradle to grave? Um, obviously, you mentioned 2002, you've had 10% growth since then. Um, was there was that coinciding with with bringing this perspective in on that? Oh, very much. <clears throat> as a as a consulting engineering firm, just like any other consulting business, you go through cycles. And so the, the best um, um, engineers that you have are often your best salespeople. They, they um, sell a job, then they start working it, they forget to sell. <laughs> and so you go through these ups and downs, right? And, and so, uh, so many years ago, we said, we really want to get away from that. We want to get into product that has repeat potential associated with it such that we can make them over years and, and build this base of business that's product-based and, uh, and then let the engineering cycles, which will always be there, run on top of this base of business. And, and so our business really has grown, as Matt said, on the um, repeat manufacturing side. And, and that's really the part of the business that Matt's running right now. It's a, it's a big growing piece of our business. Yes. Um, so globally speaking, are you finding other consulting engineering or other manufacturing firms following suit in this, or is this kind of, you, you've made your own niche market here? Go ahead. My biggest feedback on that is, yeah, a lot of folks are going there. And the reason why is because we're getting a lot more focused kind of niche uh, sort of manufacturing environment or engineering environment where they're able to kind of take over a larger scope and do it well. And so no longer are the big behemoths that can keep the others away, staying away. Um, the little guys that do the niche really, really well are able to kind of thrive in that whole environment. And so I think you're starting to see really fast transition from a sort of kind of one area of expertise to something a lot more cr cross-functional. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I imagine you're you're probably going to have some competition coming up with this, right? As we <laughs> see other firms, um, any 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 ideas implemented, uh, at least that you can share with the public, right? Don't give sure. away your secret sauce by any means, um, but anything that that you're seeing the foresight of to make sure that you are retaining these projects. Yeah. So, so as I look strategically into the future, what, what we're trying to do is continue to vertically integrate. So as, as Matt kind of characterizes it as cradle to grave, um, we want to add uh, more and more value throughout that value chain. Uh, so, so we get involved more and more at the front end uh, when our customers are thinking about systems and we're talking to them about how our product could fit in there. And we, and we chase that all the way through all the way to service, overhaul, kind of the full life cycle of, of those types of products. As we grow into more and more sophisticated systems, uh, we're running into more and more competition. Um, I feel very comfortable there, though, that, uh, that we're still very competitive. Um, we saw in the last um, DOD um, budget um, cycle down during the Obama administration. And that's Department of Defense for those that Department don't know. Department of Sorry. Defense, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, so we saw defense budgets kind of squeezed, kind of crunched. And, uh, and the big primes essentially came further and further down the supply chain to offer more and more product. 
Um, as a small business, we have lower overheads, we're faster, we're, we're more nimble. And, uh, and so we tend to beat them in that, in that middle market kind of area. Uh, but, but certainly, it's as we grow, we're growing into more and more competition. And so we have to get better. We talk a lot about continual improvement and, and the need to get better and better every day. And, uh, and that's honestly what, what will make any business successful is continual improvement and getting better and better every day. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned Department of Defense. So I, I'm sure there are some people that are curious on why that was big for your market, right? Uh, one of the things that you guys work on a lot is the aerospace industry as far as manufacturing for aerospace. Um, those are two huge industries that Colorado Business Roundtable, um, we really take a, a lot of time to work on public policies and things like that for both of those industries. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how manufacturing and aerospace really go hand in hand. And especially, as we know, Colorado is the number one per capita uh, for aerospace um, being in, in the number one industry. Yeah, so what we're starting to see is a lot going on in the aerospace industry, and I'll kind of converge that with general aerospace as well as the rocket engine industry, which we're pretty heavy into. <coughs> um, yeah, so where we're really seeing that stuff take off is the first thing is moving away from sort of government-driven programs in a lot of cases. Um, so there's the commercialization of a lot of, let's say, the rocket industry, um, you're starting to see NASA becoming a guiding agency as opposed to an actual implementer. Um, so the opportunity to work with some pretty fast-moving companies like Openly Disclosed Virgin Orbit, um, we're able to actually have a dialogue about that company and the fact that they're moving faster than anyone's moved before. Um, so the quick turnover, the implementation of additive manufacturing, things that really speed up the development cycle into more of a what, what they call it is design, test, fail, and then fix. It's kind of this iterative cycle that's much more um, analysis-based, but not so-called rooted in analysis. Um, and what's happening is you're moving through this cycle very, very quickly. On the aerospace side, it's kind of the same parallelism, where you're starting to see these really, really unique applications, but it's essentially just power density is the way we look at it. Everything's getting smaller, more sophisticated within a smaller package. And in parallel, the requirements are becoming more stringent, both on the paperwork side as well as on the actual product side. And what I mean on the paperwork side is uh, you're now having to have make sure that um, CUI, which is this sort of controlled or uncontrolled information, you need to make sure that you're housing it properly. So it's not classified, but you need to make sure that you're housing it properly. Also, the quality documentation is becoming legally binding in a way that it hasn't in the past. So there's a there's a substantial push in this arena, not only towards making the product physically, but also providing the proper documentation. Exactly. So along the lines of NIST compliance, maybe? Yep. So NIST compliance on the CUI side, for sure. Okay. Fantastic. Um, that is something I recently learned about myself. So <laughs> I, I've been getting into that. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject, for sure. Um, we only have a few minutes left here in the first segment. I want to talk a little bit about currently what you guys have going on, a few projects. Um, what Again, whatever you can speak about. I know those contracts are... Uh, 
always a little bit binding when it comes to media, but anything you'd like to share about current projects that you've got going on? Sure, just a potpourri of stuff. Um, Matt had talked about uh, rocket propulsion, so we've been involved with uh, rocket engine turbo pumps for many, many years, uh, and we continue to uh, be involved in that. It's, it's exciting. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's, it's very enjoyable, both from engineering and manufacturing perspective. Uh, we do Department of Defense type work. We have equipment on submarines, uh, and, and that's a lot of a lot of fun also to work there. Uh, we work with um, you know locally CSU Colorado State University uh, on some Department of Energy type jobs where we're looking at um, heat recovery types of um, uh, applications. Um, we work with automotive companies on waste heat power systems. Um, we do a lot of work in cryogenic pumps. Uh, a lot of these pumps end up going into physics research facilities around the world, uh, and, and that's really fun to be part of also. Uh, we get involved in, in crazy things like um, uh, supercritical CO2 as a replacement for water and power systems. They also use it in, uh, in decaffeination of coffee. They use it in dry cleaning. Uh, and more recently, they use it in uh, supercritical CO2 in uh, CBD oil extraction, right? So, so we get involved in a, in a whole wide variety of, of crazy things. Um, uh, more recently, uh, the, the, the really cool job that we just won was uh, with NASA. It was for their Exploration Portable Life Support System. So it's the backpack that the, that the astronauts wear when they're doing extra vehicle activities. Um, and so we'll be making a, uh, an oxygen blower that goes in that backpack that supplies the oxygen to the astronauts. So, uh, so yeah, a, a wide variety of fun stuff. Walk me through a little bit about these projects and how that works. Yeah, so as Dan just mentioned, kind of talking through a program, I'll give a few kind of flavors, but the first one would be we have programs that go from initial concept uh, literally in three months. That's where they come in with something, hey, we want to we just get on paper a rocket engine turbo pump concept. And we could actually move to kind of a 3D sort of model or 2D layout in three months. So really, really quickly. Kind of the more conventional program is more along the 18-month the kind of cycle. And that's typically where it would come in somewhat engineered. Um, we'd put the final engineering touches on it, release a drawing package, then manufacture a product. Those can move through pretty quickly. A laser cooling application or a laser, laser cooling pump is kind of in that window. Um, if you look at the backpack, uh, the oxygen fan for the NASA backpack, that typical program, it can move through engineering relatively quickly, um, to actually in kind of the six months to a year kind of time frame to get something on paper, and then production will start. The key there is becoming more the long-term stable kind of business. So that business could evolve into something over, let's say, 10 years if the full program was realized. And then more the contract manufacturing, the DOD work, those come in five-year blocks. So what you'll see there is we'll actually get a drawing package supplied to us, and we'll provide that full package, and, and it will last for five years. Now, the typical thing there is you want to win the follow-on based on the previous performance. So those could last... 30 to 50 years if you if you produce well. Okay, fascinating. Well, you have all of these projects, right? And these are contracts that are lasting. You're, you're focusing on more repeat business. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about employees. 
right? Sure. Workforce development is something that the Colorado Business Roundtable really advocates for. It's something we're very passionate about. And Colorado is number six in the nation for the lowest unemployment rates that we've seen in the history of the United States. Um, that being said, every person that I've had in here across industries having a hard time finding the right employee. Um, particularly though, I, and blue collar jobs doesn't necessarily have a nice uh, connotation to it. Um, so I, I, I like talking about these jobs because one, it doesn't take a whole lot of education um, to get there. It's typically just a certification, right? Um, and there's a lot of on the job training that goes on when you look at these jobs. Um, that being said, talk to me a little bit about your um, plans that you have right now for how you retain good employees. Yeah, so <clears throat> I, I might back up a little bit uh, yes. further back than that and, uh, and kind of talk about uh, machinists and technicians. Um, they're a huge part of our business. Um, they are really, really important contributors to our business. And, uh, in, and in the early 2000s, when we were seeing all this offshoring of manufacturing, uh, we kind of lost a generation of machinists and technicians, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so we looked at that and we got scared because we saw, we saw our employee base of, of kind of 50-year-old machinists and, and no one else coming in. We're going, we are in trouble. Uh, so we saw that relatively early and, and decided to make a pretty proactive uh, move to, to try to um, make that better for us in the future. Uh, we, had, we had talked to um, Warren Tech and Red Rocks Community College and they had a precision machining program. It wasn't really robust. It, it really wasn't all of that, um, all that exciting. Uh, but we got involved with them because we said that's going to be really important for our future. We learned a lot in, in all of that process. And, uh, and we learned that um, young people tend to, between 7th and 8th grade, they tend to make this decision. Do I want to work with my hands? Do I want to, you know, kind of uh, um, be more of a trades type person? Or do I want to be an academic based um, kind of a person going into a career that that's, involves college and all of that? And so we found out that, that it was really early that, that kids made those decisions. Uh, and, and, uh, and so we uh, basically are inviting kids from Warren Tech into our shop and showing them around and saying, here's what a career in manufacturing or technician looks like. So we started putting money into the Red Rocks Community College uh, Endowed Scholarship Program. Uh, we, uh, we, we basically tar started to sponsor um, kids going through that program and, uh, and thought that we would be um, priming the pump, if you will, you know, getting kids into the, into the trades, uh, having them move into uh, local shops, and once they had five or ten years of experience, we could hire them, mm -hmm. right? It turned out not to be that way. It turned out that, uh, that kids today have amazing capabilities in computers and modeling, and they, they, they build stuff on computers all the time. <laughs> so, so they come out of a Red Rocks Community College um, precision machining program with better um, computer skills than a lot of us do, right? Yeah. So, uh, so what you have to teach them then is the feeds and the speeds and, and those things associated with machining, the different materials, the different tools, all of that. 
Um, so it's it's been a it's you know we we thought we were going into it one way and we're coming out a, a totally different way, where we're hiring kids right out of Red Rocks Community College, and uh, and they're coming in as junior machinists for us, and they're really really good. Yeah, they're rocking it. I imagine they are. Yeah. yeah. Um. So one of the things you talked about in the last segment was that you hung around Barbara Nichols mm-hmm. until they had an opening. Yeah. Right? You were yeah. waiting for that. It's not the case anymore. You guys are consistently hiring, conti- considering how much growth you've got going on, mm-hmm. right? Um, so so tell me now, instead of hanging around Barbara Nichols until you come out and offer me the job, how do I get involved? What do I need to do? What's my process here? What do I need to get on the floor, whether it's machinist, technician, or on the engineering side? What are you looking for when it comes to an employee? So, so for me, I, I'll, I'll start and then Matt can add to that. Um, we start with uh, internship programs and so we're rolling out a, a brand new internship program this year that, um, that will um, we'll bring in people f- from the trade side, from the engineering side, from, from the business side and, and start to give people exposure to our company. Um, but, but ultimately what we end up looking for is, is people that aren't afraid of of kind of stepping out there on their own. In a small business, it's really tough to hide, right? And so you really have to be um, engaged and excited and, and, and really feel a confidence about what you want to do. There's, there's, uh, there's so many opportunities in our little company, and as we grow, there's, there's continuing to be opportunities. Uh, and and it's, so it kind of takes that person that's really excited and wants to make a difference. Uh, I think you know I came from that from that um, from that fold. I think Matt comes from that fold. We're seeing um, young machinists coming out of Red Rocks Community College that want to make a difference, and uh, and and if that's what you want to do, they fit pretty well in our company. Fantastic. Yeah, and I would add on to that by saying, in a small company, 125 to 130 people, every single person matters, um, and the the way that we kind of show respect to that is. When we have an company event, it is every single person in the company invited and every single person contributing. And that's hugely impactful because what we realize is the products that we manufacture, uh, design and manufacture, they really take every single person. Um, When you look at a Mark 48 torpedo program, which is out in the public as well, that takes every single person in the organization. Um, so that's one of the key areas is seeing the application of the stuff that you're designing. What I'll say kind of on the employee side, what we're always looking for is a job description is obviously somewhat generic. Um, but if we're looking for a machinist, it's an active learner, someone that can pick up speeds and feeds, but has really, really critical focus on the details of their job. We're working on precision materials or or I would say abstract materials with very precision tolerances. Um, So they need to be able to actively learn in that environment. The other thing is our business thrives on folks that come in with kind of that proactive problem-solving methodology. And whether it's on troubleshooting a machine that's down for five minutes, um, kind of self-troubleshooting it, or even figuring out how we're going to potentially hire the next best person. Any area that we look at is someone that's coming with solutions to solve the problem as opposed to just coming with complaints. So I think that's an area where we're really looking uh, as we bring in the next wave of folks. Yeah. Um, 
One of the themes that I, I that I see across the board when it comes to the manufacturing and engineering spaces is, is a lot of breaking down of silos within companies, which I think is is key um, in order to maintain and thrive into the future. Um, so that being said, I imagine that anyone that you hire, you you and you both have said it. You want them to be able to work in all systems. You want them to see the entirety of their project, even though they're only working on the one piece of it. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your values as Barbara Nichols um, and and what people should know if they were going to apply with you guys, what you strive for as a company to maintain for your employees. So, so uh, I'll start with a couple and, and then Matt can follow up. Continual learning is a big piece of it. Matt, Matt hit hit that, um, but it's it's we are not in a stagnant environment. Uh, things are changing all the time. We've got to continue to learn, uh, get better, uh, figure out, um, solve problems. Um, so so continual learning is is a big piece of it. Um, this this um, this relationship piece is also extremely important. So we talk about collegial relationships, um, and, and that's with, with uh, fellow employees, with customers, with suppliers, all of that. Um, anymore, you just can't force your will on anybody. It really has to be this, this, um, this working together uh, environment where relationships drive your success. Uh, so when we talk about project managers, um, their their relationship with uh, with the customers is extremely important. Our our uh, operations group, their relationships with our supply chain is huge. Uh, then within the company, you know, just department to department relationships is is huge. Um, if if you can't work with other people, you just won't be successful in today's day and age. So so relationships and continual learning would be two big ones for us. Yeah. Uh, interesting that you say relationships are so important despite all of the technology we have that that keep us on computers and communicating yeah. that way but i like it yeah and i really want to hit on this breaking down silos it's been one of my key focuses at barber nichols and and i think it's had a game-changing impact truthfully so one of the things that we focused on in the last year is co-locating teams and having defined teams with clear expectation and roles and so what you'll see is we now have a program manager that's coupled with a, pr a planner that's putting the stuff through production, a purchasing uh, representative that's actually buying the outside material, not only the raw material, but also the actual components. Um, you also have a technical engineer that's responsible for making disposition decisions on non-conforming material or resolving drawing discrepancies. What we've started to add to that is the manufacturing side. So actually bringing in the manufacturing engineer the machinist down to the technician and having a team that really understands the priorities that are being cascaded from the customer because then two things start to happen. You can actually solve problems as a team. The communication substantially improves between that team. They start being open and transparent in that communication, not only internally, cross-functionally, but also with the customer. So as an issue comes up, say, on a component where we have a non-conformance on material, the actual machinist has enough presence in the program to be talking directly to the customer. Um, so it facilitates this kind of uh, empowerment and uh, teamwork mentality that I think has been lost in a lot of organizations with, de with 
tall, skinny silos. Yes, absolutely. Long way to go, but I will say the uh, the 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 improvement that we've seen is already pretty substantial. Wonderful. I like hearing that because it's uh, it's not easy to break down those silos, um, but once you see them get fatter and shorter, it gets easier to hop those walls, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, as a result of it too, you start to see this sort of team accountability, which becomes self-accountability and everyone asks, how do you make people, how do you hold people accountable? Well, you don't. Um, but naturally what you start to see is as it has a team environment, the team starts to hold each other accountable and you start to see the deficiencies. You start to build on people's strengths, which we've uh, tried to identify. You also start to expose others' weaknesses, but then they become an opportunity to help the team grow. So it, it stimulates an environment that's really uh, kind of productive yeah. and efficient. Absolutely. Um, there's there's one thing. Um, I We have a monthly show with a local uh, catering company, and what he talks about is creating a great place to work. And one of the big things that he talks about is um, sometimes you hire the wrong employee, and you figure mm -hmm. that out down the line. I'm sure you both have run into that situation at one point or another. Um, but the further you break down the silos, as you said, the easier it is to see where the glitches are. And there's always an opportunity to say, okay, you know what? Maybe this isn't the best place for you here at Barbara Nichols, or maybe we can find ways to improve what you're right. working on. Yeah. yeah. Um, love hearing that. Um, Matt, you were pretty passionate on our break here, talk, wanting to talk about workforce development. Talk to me a little bit more about why that's such a passion for you in general. The people are our business, period. That's, that's the reason. Um, I can honestly tell you in a small company, every single person matters and every person has to be trained, develop to be able to bring out their maximum. And I always look at that as how do you, how do you bring out people's potential? So I call it potential in motion and it's really setting those people in motion. And what you see is when you're able to pick, pick out key people's strengths, and really utilize those strengths, you start to see something really unique happen. It's this grassroots kind of effort where everyone's kind of on board and has a bucket and all of a sudden you're no longer drowning. You're starting to actually get proactive with decisions. And it really comes down to every last employee. And I can just go through a few examples right now that's really home to me is we're making a liquid oxygen, oxygen clean room um, for the rocket engine space. And I look at how that thing's coming together. It's a grassroots effort because we had foreign object damage potentially, let's say, that could be get into a product. We don't want that to happen. Um, we've got folks that are putting together the room. We have other folks that are ordering the materials to make it happen. We have others that are clearing out on the weekends. It's kind of this whole kind of camaraderie and teamwork around it. And you're starting to see what in two, two weeks is going to be a clean room. Um, so it's all these kind of little examples where people just step up and when you're able to kind of see the vision for them sometimes and put their potential in motion. So workforce development in all regards is number one on my list because the people are number one. Um, and what we see is an extremely niche technical business, whether it's on the manufacturing or the design side. Um, it's very hard to kind of develop those skills. Um, is, but if they have the base kind of the foundation, you can certainly start to help grow that. Fantastic. Um, 
you you kind of you kind of uh, started in on the theme of, of projects that you've got going on. You mentioned the clean room, um, so I'm I'm going to follow along that trajectory there. Um, it's it's part of the great foresight that is Barbara Nichols. Um, so talk to me about these projects. We mentioned in the last uh, segment um, commercialization of aerospace, which is freaking fascinating to put it quite bluntly. Um, it's it's very cool to see NASA being this guiding light, as you said. Um, and less so on the forefront of getting those projects out there. So talk to me a little bit about um, some of the projects you've seen coming from the, the commercial side and the differences in working with private, private companies versus the government uh, projects. And again, what you can say. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've got a real kind of cut to the chase example. Okay. Um, so the typical kind of, let's just say NASA design cycle and rocket engine turbo pump could be five years. Um, it's typically many millions of dollars and it's typically very analysis driven on pretty strict standards. And what happens as a result of that is you get to the actual test environment and you realize that some assumptions that were made were incorrect and they start to kind of jeopardize the whole framework of the design. Where folks are moving now is to a much more uh, analysis quick, build quick, test quick, fail fast. And then they're getting into this iteration cycle where they're able to really quickly move through this development cycle. And where we are used to seeing five years kind of development cycles, we're seeing one to two years. And this is literally flight ready hardware. Yeah. You're starting to see major risks being taken, um, but calculated risk. And that's why I like the risk. It's very <laughs> sort of rooted in fundamentals of physics-based analysis, where rocket engine companies are using additive manufacturing to produce parts in days as opposed to castings, which took months. Um, so you're starting to see kind of these pragmatic decisions being made to accelerate this development cycle. And the biggest thing that I would say, the biggest difference really is that acceleration through risk management. Um, it's very pragmatic, it's less bureaucratic, um, and what I would say is it's working. It, it's, it's moving fast, they're fa failing fast, but they're failing in an environment where they can learn and adapt. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's real. Yeah, thoughts Dan? You know, generally, <clears throat> I would I would agree with Matt that everything's moving a lot faster. Um, it, there ends up being quite a bit of pressure on people too, uh, as we try to move faster. And so, as as a business, um, you can feel your markets wanting to move fast. And so, as a company, essentially, what you want to do is be able to have the pieces in place that enable that. So, people are a huge part of it. Uh, processes are another huge part of it. We, we like to think uh, that uh, you know, what we do is, is unique every time, but in reality, you can put a process around a lot of uh, very, uh, very um, prototypey type applications, uh, and you can do them better and faster and make less mistakes if you do that. So as a management team, what we're tasked with is trying to put into place those processes and procedures that give people a roadmap without um, um, crushing the creativity. Uh, and, and it's a fine balance, right? Because you want people to go fast and, and do things as, as well as they can, understand the risks and make the right decisions based on the risks that they're seeing. And they kind of need a framework to do that. 
and, and as a management team, that's that's one of our of our tougher challenges is is uh, kind of threading that needle, getting the right stuff in place without uh, killing the creativity. Ah, awesome. Um, one thing that you both mentioned was the speed of how quickly things need to be turned around. Um, risk management, you, you talked about the calculated risk. Of course, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, safety, right? With, with the privatization and, and SpaceX has had sometimes a little bit of bad press um, around certain things, right? Um, so let's let's talk about mitigating those safety risks. Yeah, so cut and dry, the quality and safety requirements don't change. Okay. Period. Thank you. There's no negotiation there. It's the products that were 20 years ago that were slow, so to speak, they had the same quality requirements as today. And actually, I would say that those quality requirements have escalated because the ability to inspect has improved. Uh, the detailed inspections that you can do now are on a less than a hair of size. Um, so you're starting to see what's happening is you're starting to be able to get information quicker and ensure that you can meet the quality and safety requirements. So I would say that those remained unchanged. Um, and in our business, quality is the number one uh, most stringent focus. Uh, we are certain to not ship a product unless everyone is nodding their head that we believe it meets the quality requirements. And I, I mean this. Uh, in today's world, the paperwork that's associated with a product is as critical as the product itself. Um, we have to ensure that they both are in tandem and working together. So I, I don't see a shift there. The risk is much more, when I say calculated risk, it's much more on a, we realize that these things can happen and how can we mitigate them. Um, for example, um, let's be open. In the space industry, if locks, liquid oxygen and rocket propellant collide, then you have an explosion. Um, so explosion's fine if it's in the right domain, um, but getting to those kind of situations faster um, and facilitating the learning process, but no jeopardization on quality and safety. Yeah, every, every day we talk about safety, quality, delivery, cost in that order. And, and everything has to be safe to begin with, then quality, then delivery so we don't mess up our customers, um, their projects, and then cost is the fourth but it's in that order. I like that. Safety first always. I'm yes. a big believer in that as well. So gentlemen, where can I find more information about Barbara Nichols? Well, we're actively hiring in a lot of different regards. I will say we're, we're very pragmatic about how we hire because every hire is critical, but barber-nichols.com. Um, we also have uh, email, but Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. and LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, once again, you can find more information about everything we talked about in the description below. Apply for a job today at Barbara Nichols. And uh, be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube page while you're here. You can find all of our past shows at cobrt.com slash radio dash podcast. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you.